Ahoy, and welcome to the Jolly Reader. I'm your host, Captain Book. Okay, so thanks for sailing with me once again. Today, we are going to look at part two of Truly Divas. And I guess I'll start with a summary of last time. But if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen or you'll be completely lost and there's 10,000 people and you won't know what's going on. So part of the book is in 1936. So in 1936, creepy Albert Ellingham starts a school for smart kids and he invites a girl named Dottie and he receives a creepy letter from Truly Devious and it threatens murder, essentially. His wife, Iris, and daughter, Alice, are kidnapped. He pays ransom but doesn't get them back and Dottie is murdered the same day that they're taken. Then the other part of the book that's in 2017 teenager stevie goes to ellingham school to solve the case she has several housemates and teenage hormones and big who cares but the 2017 part picks up a little bit this time so we'll get there but when i was editing last episode it kind of brought me to a new theory that i didn't mention before so i'm just going to say this now before we get into the full episode i believe that stevie could possibly somehow related to the Ellinghams and we know that Alice is supposed to inherit the whole school and everything so I think by the end of the book she'll inherit the school and it'll be like a rags riches thing and the reason I say that is one there's no reason she couldn't be adopted and her parents talk about how she's like an oddball and they don't really understand her and we don't know like as of right now Iris and Alice are just kidnapped so they could have lived So the theory, my theory is that Alice is Stevie's grandmother and they like make a big deal about how Stevie wears this red coat from her grandmother. So maybe that is Alice's, but that's just kind of my theory. This book is getting a little rough. Uh, The writing is really drawn out and not great. And basically, I never want to read a New York bestseller again. Just because it sells a lot doesn't mean the writing's good. It just means it's advertised well. And we ran into this with We Were Liars. But the storyline's pretty good, and I've been fighting through it. So hopefully you guys like what I've been putting out. But I'm just telling you, I've been kind of wading through the muck of the writing, <laughs> if we're being honest. But moving forward, we do have things to look forward to this episode. So a few things to look forward to are a couple makeout sessions a dark tunnel, another truly devious message, and more murder. Thank goodness. So today we are going to start with chapter 10, which is odd and over detailed. So Stevie describes the dining hall like a ski lodge. And basically she hoped for a Harry Potter situation, but it didn't work out that way. And there's a lot of talk about this stupid fancy soda she grabs. Everything at the school's free, but she talks about how she has to grab it because she couldn't normally afford it. And everything is maple flavored there because they're really close to Canada. It's really dumb, but there's like some joking and flirting crap between her and David over it. So all of Minerva House sits outside, but David's not there yet. And Ellie asked how their advisor meetings went. Because if you remember from last time, the first years being Janelle, Nate, and Stevie had just met with all their advisors. So Ellie asked them about it. And Janelle said she loved it. And she's really excited to get into like the building and her math classes and everything like that. And then Stevie just like says it was fine, but she's complaining about her project, which is to humanize the case. 
and Nate hates everything per usual. But he says that his advisor hates him. And Ellie's like, oh, she didn't say that. And he said she never looked at him. She said anyone can be published these days. And she read him his classes and told him to go, which is pretty savage. So then Janelle asks Vi to sit with them. And Stevie worries about being friendless, even though she admits that Janelle wants to flirt with Vi. So, like, I don't know why she's upset. Oh, my friend likes someone, but they're not going to be my friend. That doesn't make any freaking sense. (sighs) So David walks up to the table and Stevie has a strong feeling that she knows him, but she says there's no way they've ever met before. So my thought on that is like maybe he's on one of the true crime like message boards, how she met Janelle and Nate, but they haven't gotten into that yet. So David informs Hayes, Hayes is the one that did the zombie YouTube, that he was watched last night and that Jermaine posted a video of him cuddling up to Maris. David tells Hayes, he's like, oh, your girlfriend's going to be pissed. And then Hayes is like, uh, I don't really care. It's just like par- uh, the price of being famous. Like it's not a big deal. So this part was really weird in the book. I'm just going to like mention it, but I don't really understand what the point is. But Ellie like randomly sticks her foot in David's face and he bites her feet and CB starts getting all this anxiety and describes it as weird and familiar. I don't, I have no idea. I don't know. But then Stevie says she feels alone and that she's being severed from the group bit by bit for no reason. Like nothing happened. I don't know why she randomly felt that way. But later she's in her room and she decides to try to look up David, like Google search him. And she searches for hours and hours and nothing comes up and there's no social media, nothing. And she's super concerned about it, which in her defense, that is like weird, but uh, big, who cares? kind of. I don't know. He got into the school, so clearly they know who he is and like who his parents or his family or whatever. So I don't know why she's so weird about it. But anyways, so Janelle comes in and she tells Stevie like, oh, I'm sorry I ignored you at lunch. I don't want to be the kind of person who ditches their friends over romance. So that kind of like works itself out. Oh, also, so just like kind of a heads up, Janelle refers to Vi as them instead of her. So if you hear me saying them, I'm referencing Vi. I'm just going to continue with how they've developed their character being Vi. So I try to use names a lot, but if I say them, that's who I'm talking about. So anyways, Janelle reassures Stevie that she is at the school to build things and Stevie's there to solve crimes. So like they're both meant to be at the school and it's all going to be fine. So Stevie is now more than ever sure she will solve the Ellingham case and she's creeped out and wants to solve who David is and it's like your future love interest hello (sighs) chapter 11 I promise it picks up stuff actually happens chapter 11 the next morning Stevie has her first day of classes and it's set up like a college so you just have your class time and then your in-between times whatever you want to go do Her first class is anatomy with Pix, and she says Pix is more serious as a teacher than she is as a house mother. That's what I call her, house mother. And there's... Okay, so the only reason I'm trying to mention this is because I think... I don't know. Okay, so there's this real... There's a skeleton in the class. It's real. It's not fake. His name is Mr. Nelson, and they say someone tries... Or Pix tells them someone tries to steal him every year, but he's wired so don't try to steal him. So the only reason I bring this up is because like I kind of feel like someone's going to steal him to one of Mr. Nelson's who is truly devious or something that would be wild. So 
then there's too many details about what they're going to learn and the tests are going to take. So I'm going to spare you all that. Then she's going to her next class and she gets hailed on, which is unimportant, but it's oddly humorous to me to see the meh main character get pelted with ice. So there's that. But she gets to her next class, which is a one-on-one with Dr. Velman studying criminology and sociology. Nothing notable. In between classes, she decides to go to the library. So the librarian, Kayoko, prepares for the students. She knows what Stevie's interested in, so she makes sure she has books and things ready for her. So she takes her to this back room, and they have to put on gloves and stuff. It's the book Dottie was reading, Sherlock Holmes. And the librarian shows it to her, and apparently it was part of evidence for a long time, but at some point it was returned to the school. And it's perfectly preserved, and Stevie looks at it, and the first thing she looks for is the underlined sentence. So we get to see what Dottie thought would be a sign to anyone that found her in case something bad happened so the sentence is sherlock said i consider that a man's brain originally is like a little empty attic and you have to stock it with such furniture as you choose so i thought about this for a long time and kind of what i'm getting at from the information we have is Dottie knows that the person that murdered her is someone that would hang out at the main house that's friends with albert ellingham so my theory is that this person's brain is like an empty attic and it's stocked with such furniture as you choose being like ellingham filled this person's head with something and kind of like created this person but i don't even know if Dottie would be like in a situation to know all that because she says she doesn't even know who the person is i don't know i'm just saying so let me know your theories if you have any so then kayoko also shows stevie a file and it's these meticulous notes that the previous or like the librarian at the time, Diana Cloaks, took. And there was a rule at Ellingham that any of the books that the students wanted would be obtained if possible. No exceptions to this rule. So within the time period Dottie was there, she requested over 500 books and the school ordered 487 of them. But the ones they couldn't get were from owners and they're one of a kind and they refused to sell them. There were crime-related magazines, and the librarian says that the other students probably just took them instead of returning them, since they were just magazines and not books. And Stevie says that she feels like she would have fit in with Dottie and her friends. I don't know, not relevant, just try not to miss out on things. So two days pass, and she talks about routines falling into place, and she's talking about lunch. So most people sit by their houses or by their interests, so artists sitting together, whatever, straight out Mean Girls. Hayes starts to sit with Maris and Jermaine sits alone and she observes and takes notes because she's the reporter. Gretchen is kind of like a queen bee, the one that came in and was staring at Hayes and Maris at the party and all jealous. David and Ellie would kind of come and go to the table. Stevie's kind of determined that they're not a couple. They're just two people who are comfortable in their skin and not very conscious of what makes other people uncomfortable. And they probably don't care, which is like kind of the best way. I don't know why she's uncomfortable by them anyways. Usually there's like sitting around and giggling. Sorry, like happiness makes you uncomfortable, Stevie. So anyways, she's walking back to Minerva and David falls in step with her. And she feels insulted by his stupid jokes because of course she has to take everything personally. And he jokes about true crime. I forget what it is, but something stupid like, oh, you watch... It's not Unsolved Mysteries. Some forensic files or something. I don't know. But she's like, it's the lowest of the shows. It's like, they're all amazing. So whatever. But she can't handle it. 
and she just like wants to hurt him. It's so weird. So then he says that Ellie told him about the conversation they had and she's like, great, probably about my love life because he cares so much. But really, it was like that her parents worked for Edward King, that senator or governor or whatever he was. So she's overly mad about it and she's like, I'm not a fan of his. He's the root of all my trouble in my life. And he's just like, whatever. I don't really care about this. So she basically, to end the conversation, is like, I came up here to get away from all this. And he jokes about his mom being a beekeeper and his dad inventing the smorgasbord. That's not a fun word to say on a podcast. Smorgasbord. Okay, anyways. We're sure. Okay, so they get back to Minerva and he scans them in, but then he leaves and she goes in. Well, before he leaves, he tells Stevie that they have time to get to know each other so much time, see you around or whatever, and then he leaves. And she has basically no idea what just happened. But my thought, which this kind of hasn't come back around, but is that he scanned her in so it seemed like he was there when he really wasn't. But like I said, that hasn't come back. So we'll just kind of see if there's some sketchy time stuff. But anyway, Stevie's an idiot. That's literally my notes. This is the next bullet point. So then... This part's weird too. So Hayes comes into her room and he's like talking to her and he's crouched down. And he's wearing this like wife beater tank top or whatever. And she's like distracted by how attractive he is, which is like fine because he's his YouTube star or whatever, but just she can't figure her life out. It's weird. So hormones and all that. So he tells her, Hayes does, that he wants to collaborate on a project and that his agent wants him to make a new series. So he wants to do something on the Ellingham crimes and like the crime with Dottie at the school. And he explains that last year they dug like the school during because they're doing all sorts of construction and water lines and stuff. They dug out the tunnel in the sunken garden. That's the tunnel that Dottie used to get into the domed room. And that the kidnapper used to escape. I don't know why they think who killed Dottie and the kidnapper are the same people, but here we are. So she corrects him. Stevie corrects Hayes and it's like, uh, they filled that in in 1938. And he's like, no, they dug it out for construction. I've been down there. And he wants to film this project, parts of it in the tunnel. So she eagerly accepts because she wants to go explore the tunnel, which is also dumb because I don't know why she doesn't just go there herself. She doesn't have to do a project to go down there, but she's an idiot. So here we are. I'm probably going to say that 50 times. I should just record. He, she's an idiot. So here we are. And then I can just place it throughout the recording. So anyways, Hayes tells Stevie to get Nate to help write a script. Oh, just five to 10 pages. Have it done by Monday. Like, thanks. Bye. And freaking dumb, dumb Stevie's like, okay, as long as I can go into the tunnel, which I already explained, she doesn't need to do this project to do. So Stevie ropes Nate into helping her with a script because he's supposed to be outlining the next three chapters of his book for Dr. Quinn, but he basically wants to do anything besides that to get out of it. So she tells him the story of Truly Devious and he writes it. So now it's April 14th, 1936, 3 p.m. So they're waiting. This is the next day after the kidnapping and they had phoned New York for the money because the banks couldn't handle such large amounts of money. So Robert McKenzie, who's the secretary, is supervising the delivery from New York of the $200,000. And they start to mark the bills with the invisible ink that leo made and ellingham also puts his fingerprints on the bundle wrappers in case the money gets tracked he says marking the bills is all a part of their game and it's like albert this isn't monopoly like this is serious you're paying someone for your family 
So anyways, Marsh is there and he says that he paid some of his men to watch the corners. He paid him 50 cents, but he didn't tell them what they're watching for. Just if there's something suspicious, report back. There's a whole conversation about that. It's not important. I'm skipping it. So anyways, there's a phone call at 7.07 and it's truly devious or whatever. Tells them to go to Burlington, which is that town. Hogsmeade, essentially. Anyways, <laughs> Harry Potter fans, you know. So the phone call, they are told to go to Burlington and wait for a, a specific phone booth. And then this is all three of them. This is Marsh, Albert, and the secretary, Robert McKenzie. So they go there. They go to the phone booth. There's another call at eight to tell them to go to Rock Point. That's by Lake Champlain. And it's like, it's just this rough terrain that juts out over the water. So they get, it's like nighttime. They get there and there's marked arrows on the ground telling, basically telling them to take this path. And there's like makeshift candles along the pathway. Anyways, so Robert McKenzie is told to wait by the car. And then if Marsh and Albert don't return in an hour to go get help. Marsh and Albert are going up this mountain and they reach this cliff and there's a rope and there's a boat below, but I'm assuming it's pretty far down and it's dark so they can't really see like who's in the boat and stuff. And the person says, drop the money down via the rope. And they're like, where's Iris and Alice? And the person's like, look beside you. So Albert's like yelling for them, but on the ground, there's a handbag and a child's shoe. So Marsh is like, "Uh uh-uh, we want sign of life. And instead, Ellingham just drops the money down via rope without hesitation. He's like, close enough, thanks for the shoe. So stupid. So then they see an odd pattern of light. I'm assuming they're counting the money though in the bag. And then the light goes off and the boat sails away with any chance of recovering Iris and Alice. Like they just leave with money. So chapter 12. This is present day with Stevie. So they start writing and preparing for the truly devious video series. Yay, we found the title of the book. It's the title of the video series. I usually like that. This one was kind of lame. I guess we kind of already found it with the letters. I don't know. Usually it's kind of clever when you find the title. I'm a little bummed out now. Anyways, so they're making this video series and this includes Stevie, Nate, Hayes, Maris, And then there's also a new character named Dash. I don't have his full name. His last name has Dash in it, but they just call him Dash for nickname. Anyways, he is creating like the fog and the lighting and he's worked with Hayes before. So first they're going to film Hayes as Albert Ellingham and he's going to be quote unquote like rowing the ransom money to the dome. But obviously there's no water in the lake. So they're going to use the fog to make an illusion, blah, blah, blah. Who cares? I'm telling you, you think I tell you a lot now. I cut out the three pages. It talks about them finding a wardrobe up in this room and how she was claustrophobic and has nothing to do with anything. So just bear with me. So anyways, the next night, now I'm annoyed. Anyways, the next night, they're going to film in the sunken garden tunnel that Dottie used to get to the observatory. So Stevie's in her room, this is after they film, thinking about the case and she wants to solve it because Dottie is a forgotten victim because she didn't have any money and everyone was focused on Iris and Alice. And she talks about how Minerva used to be a guest house for like party goers and then obviously Dottie lived there as well. And while she's thinking about the tunnel and Dottie's death and stuff, she dozes off 
And she wakes up with a light shining into her room. And there's a message in cutout letters shining above her fireplace. So I shall read the message and play my cool, creepy music in the background. Riddle, riddle on the wall. Murder comes to pay a call. A boy in a lonely field. Will its secrets be revealed? Or the lady in the lake? Will she give the lucky break? Alice, Alice, where are you? Won't you give a silent clue? The detectives here, it's time to play. Truly devious lives another day. And then the light turns off and the message disappears. And I'm really sorry I read that super slow and weird. In the book, it shows it in cutout letters, so it's kind of hard to read. Anyways. So then we just jump to chapter 13. So Stevie gets up and she drops a book out her open window to see if it hits someone like who would have been shining in her window. I'm not really sure how high her room's off of the ground. I don't know. You should be able to look out and see if there's a person, but she doesn't. So she starts having this full-blown panic attack. It literally drones on for four pages and it doesn't even sound like a real panic attack. It sounds like the description of a panic attack that you would see in a movie, not a real one, but it's a little insulting if you ask me. But anyways, Stevie takes her medicine and then her as-needed anxiety medicine. Not that she shouldn't have a panic attack. I'm telling you, the writing doesn't depict it well. So anyways, she goes to Janelle's room and she doesn't tell Janelle what happened. She's just like, hey, I'm having a panic attack. And then Janelle's like, I'm here. Like, just breathe through it, whatever. So it's the next morning and Stevie's dumb. So <laughs> this is what my notes say. It says, it's the next morning, apparently, dot, dot, dot. Stevie is dumb. That's all you need to know about it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So she goes outside to get her book because she's kind of like trying to decide what's reality and what was a dream. And she was like awoken when this message. So when she sees her book outside, she's like, yeah, that really happened. I threw a book out the window. She comes back in and David's coming downstairs and her blood is boiling for no reason. So she randomly just like blocks him in the hallway and she asks if he had a good night because for whatever reason, she assumes that he like wrote the message and shined it on her wall. It's so weird. There's literally no reason to think that. She even says before she goes to bed that night that she can hear David in his room walking around. So I don't know why she thought he's tormenting her. But anyways... So, yep, that's all that section. So she goes to class and she's trying to remember the note and starts thinking about Walt Whitman. And basically, like the quote of Walt Whitman that comes to her is, and what do you think has become of the women and children? They are alive and well somewhere. And I'm like, that feeds right into my theory that Iris and Alice are still alive. So anyways, Janelle and Stevie are talking and... She finally tells Janelle what happened and Janelle confirms that it wouldn't be that hard to project the letters onto her wall with a light, but this is likely just an anxiety dream. So they both kind of agree that it was a dream, but Stevie in the back of her head thinks like this could have been real, which obviously it is, but whatever. So they go to yoga class, which Stevie sucks at. Like she sucks at it so bad that she's two moves behind at all times. I'm not great at yoga, but like just... It's not that bad. Stevie's just like incompetent at everything, especially solving crimes, which is the only reason she's at this school. <sighs> okay, moving on. Okay, so when they're done, they can't find Janelle's ID card. And that's like a big deal because Janelle's like super anal and perfectionist. So like they talk about when they go into the yoga place, she clips it on the inside of her bag and then she zips her bag. So it's not like it fell out or something. And 
it's obviously stolen. So this is a big deal because she has access to special stuff for her welding and certain rooms and stuff. So Stevie kind of concludes that the message on her wall is all a game, but games aren't fun if you don't know you're playing. But you just said you know you're playing, so enjoy. No, I'm just kidding. I don't like all the game references. It's just kind of weird and whatever. Let's get to the good stuff, shall we? Hang in there. Chapter 14 is completely pointless. Great. Okay, I lied. (laughs) I thought we were going to pick up. Okay. So chapter 14, they go into the tunnel to film like Hayes and the group that's filming and it has a padlock on it, but Stevie picks the padlock because she learned it because it was cheap and detectives on TV do it. So she just bought like a $5 padlock and taught herself how to do it. Whatever. No one cares. So the tunnel originally was used to deliver booze during Prohibition, obviously, because there's that speakeasy area at the end. Stevie decides to go alone because they're like setting up to film at the mouth of the tunnel. And she's like, no, I got to go see this. So she goes down there and she goes and sees the observatory. No new information. It's just like a whole experience for her. Like this is coming to real life, whatever. So they shoot Hayes reading film, not shoot him, obviously. They film Hayes reading the letter like the truly devious letter in the opening of the tunnel. It's quick, easy, blah, blah, blah. So Hayes is like, we should all leave separate so we don't get caught. So Hayes and Maris go last. And Nate states the obvious that they're probably going to like hook up down there. And Stevie's like, no, that's a tunnel. They couldn't possibly hook up. That's sacred or whatever. Nate's like, hey, idiot, the tunnel's just a tunnel for some people and we're teenagers. Wake up. So the next part... (laughs) told you it was pointless. So the next part of the book is like this article from postdetective.com called Who is Truly Devious 80 Years On. It was written April 13th, 2016. Okay, so we get some actual information out of this. So first, they review kind of what we know up to this point and the Truly Devious poem is written out for the fourth time in this book. We know, holy moly. But since I haven't talked about it this episode, I guess I'll go ahead and read it because it's barely relevant so you can just skip ahead 15 seconds pointless look a riddle time for fun should we use a rope or gun knives are sharp and gleam so pretty poison slow which is a pity fire is festive drowning slow hangs a ropey way to go a broken head a nasty fall a car colliding with the wall bombs make a very jolly noise such ways to punish naughty boys what shall we use we can't decide just like you cannot run or hide ha ha truly devious can you tell i'm over it So (laughs) anyways, it was received on April 8th and the mail is always brought to the house once a day and then it's sorted by the secretary McKenzie and then he kind of picks out what's important or not. But death threats were apparently nothing new to Ellingham. Like obviously there was someone tried to blow him up with a bomb. But anyways, the cutout letters were alarming because they were different. So apparently... Which I didn't realize this. I thought Dottie fell down the hole and then later on was found in the speakeasy area dead. Well, apparently she was considered missing at the time Iris and Alice went missing, but not deceased because her body wasn't down there. The first ransom where Albert goes with the rowboat, since he was short on money, he was like two grand short, the kidnappers beat up the person sent to collect iris and alice and demanded more but like that was kind of weird because then we would assume there's a lot of people involved so i'm saying did they beat up the guy that beat up albert at the time 
I think that person that knocked out Albert also killed Dottie, obviously, but it says they beat up the kidnapper. So that means at some point they figured out who kidnapped Iris and Alice and it's not like truly devious or whatever. That's kind of open ended. It's really stupid. So anyways, they demanded more money and that's like the drop off of the person in the boat on April 14th. So May 16th, almost a month later in 1936, Dottie's body is found in a field in Jericho, Vermont in a shallow grave. I don't know anything about Vermont, so I don't know how far or close this is, but that's where she was found. And the cause of death was a massive blow to the head. And then three weeks later on June 5th, 1936, get this everybody buckle up because stevie's been keeping some big information from us the body of iris ellingham is found washed up near south hero vermont also don't know where that is but um i thought she was a missing person even today and her body was freaking found two months later and stevie didn't mention this to me thanks a lot this is ridiculous anyways the person that found her or like in the report, it says it looked like someone tried to weigh Iris's body down and it was in bad shape because it was found in the water, obviously. So they, this is dumb. Get ready for a rant. So <laughs> they conclude that Truly Devious was just running down his list from the poem. And I'm thinking, well, kind of. Okay, so this is their evidence that the letter and like the stuff that happened is related. Iris's car was found seven miles from the house with no sign of the struggle. So supposedly, this is supposed to be the part of the poem where it says a car colliding with a wall. Her car didn't hit a wall. Nothing happened. Then the part of the poem that says a broken head, a nasty fall. That is supposed to be Dottie because obviously she fell down the hole. But this letter was sent a week before all this and Dottie was just kind of like collateral damage. And how would they even know? that she would have made a run for it. Like they didn't chase after her. She did that on her own. So they would have no idea that she would have a nasty fall. So that doesn't even make sense. And then they say a gun was found in the water. So that's, should I use a rope or gun? And then Iris obviously was found in the water. So that's the drowning slow part. (sighs) You guys, the letter's not related. This is a stretch or poor writing or both. So anyways, there's also the only other connection that like kind of makes sense is the fire is festive part because there's a fire, but we're going to get to that in a minute. So the article goes on to talk about how experts debate about the letter. Some say it's childish. Some says it's genius. Big who cares. Doesn't get us any closer. So Anton Voracek, who's found guilty, it's like that's disputed by experts because he couldn't even write the poem and pull off the crime whatever. We know this. So two years after the conviction, Anton dies and a woman comes forward and says he's innocent because he was with her that night, but she was too afraid to come forward. But this is not confirmed to be a true or false statement. It's just kind of something that happened. So they also say that the only fingerprints on the letter were Albert's and his secretary Mackenzie's, which is obvious but the book's trying to like misdirect suspicion to Mackenzie. they do it through this whole part but like i don't think he had anything to do with it i think he may have known something that he felt guilty about that may have prevented this but like he obviously didn't plan for iris to be murdered that's just my opinion but anyways so after the trial of i can't think of his name uh anton there was a fire in the courthouse they say it was started by a cigarette 
and it burned just like a handful of evident boxes, but it it happened to include the truly devious letter. So that's the fires festive. So that's the only one that kind of makes sense. It's still all dumb. But the point of that is that nothing can be tested by modern technology because it's gone. So basically, even after all this information, my Alice and Stevie theory still stands strong. So we'll kind of see how that goes. Chapter 15. Big who cares? Stevie gets up on Saturday and Janelle informs her that whoever took her pass somewhat returned it or her ID. So it was left on the path outside Minerva, but it wasn't stuck in the door. It wasn't close or anything. It was just weird. So crisis averted for the moment because it's a big deal if you lose your ID, obviously. So then there's a weird interaction between Stevie and David, and I'm obligated to mention it for the purpose of this podcast, but I don't really care. So he was working on his computer all night and Stevie thinks he looks attractive and she's upset by this feeling and is convinced that he knows that she thought that he was attractive in that moment and there's zero interaction between them and she's like so stupid. She freaks out and she just like leaves. There you go. It's young love blossoming. So don't be surprised when it actually happens. (sighs) I don't hate my job much, but when I have to talk about pointless teenage love. Should I put the derpy clown music behind that? I think I might from We Were Liars. This might be fitting. We'll see. So, (laughs) oh man. Okay. So, TV goes to the empty lake area for the filming and Hayes is basically being a lazy POS while they're all setting up stuff, being Stevie, Nate, Maris, and Dash. Then Jermaine shows up and Stevie's like, oh, there's about to be a throwdown because she made that post and stuff. But Hayes isn't even annoyed and he's like posing for pictures and stuff. He doesn't even care. So he goes back to his room to get his makeup done because he's supposed to look like a 40-year-old man. And when it's time to film, no one can find him. So they say, Stevie, go look for him, which is really weird because wouldn't you send Maris his girlfriend or whatever? But, you know, plot, she has to be around for this. Kind of side note before I get into this, this is a super annoying part of the book. So since Stevie's a main character, they like put her in situations she would not logically be in just so we can be like, we know what's going on because Stevie was there. It's stupid. Maris would have gone looking for him. But anyways, he's having this heated conversation with the Queen Bee girl Gretchen. So it's kind of weird. I'm just going to read it so you can kind of make your own opinion. There's some profanity, so I'm just going to edit <laughs> as <laughs> needed. You're full of it, Hayes. She doesn't say of it, but anyways. You owe me, and I'll give it to you, Hayes replied. I know, super interesting. Let me turn the page. That's what you said before. Because I will. That's Hayes. No what, Gretchen? Oh, please, you're going to pretend with me? What do you even care? (laughs) Do you like my voices? This is ridiculous. Well, first, I'm never getting paid back. Let's not pretend about that. You do this to everyone. To me, probably to Beth. At least she knows now, thanks to that girl who did the video. And what about these dumb SOBs who are out here doing your work right now? And then Stevie's all offended that she called her a dumb SOB. But I'm like, same girl. Gretchen knows what's up. Gretchen. (laughs) (laughs) What if I tell that girl with the show all about it? I guess you do what you need to do, Gretchen. Or you could take a Xanax and give me a week or two. And that's like pretty much the whole conversation. So basically she's like, my understanding is I think Gretchen knows he lied about the zombie thing and she and he like paid her off or something and then she wants to tell the whole world because he's not dating her. I don't know. who. Big who cares? I hope you enjoyed my voices though because that was pretty funny. So let's see her. 
they spot Stevie and he goes back to film basically telling Stevie, oh, that's his ex. And she's like stupid. Like she's not over it, but it's like no big deal. So Stevie doesn't like that Hayes is doing the project on her thing being the Ellingham case, which like all of a sudden now you're upset about this. You agreed to this a gajillion years ago. But anyways, she said it seems strange for a teenager to play a 40 year old man. It's like not coming out the way she wants i it doesn't matter okay so they go to dinner let's get to some like interesting stuff they're done filming they're gonna go to dinner before breaking down the set and Hayes is like oh i forgot something i'm gonna head back real quick and then mayor's like i'll go with you and he's like nah bro i'm good so they all go to dinner and she notes that david and Hayes never show up for dinner and gretchen's like glaring at them who cares so maris is like acting all weird and getting all nervous because Hayes isn't responding to any of her texts and she insists that they go look for him she's like because we have to go clean up anyways so dash is kind of annoyed because he just wants to eat his dinner and he tells her that she needs to learn that Hayes never shows up to clean up the dishes and he's probably in his room on his phone so yeah whatever obviously basic like, that's not far-fetched. That's pretty reasonable. So on their way to the empty lake, Jermaine asks if she can join them since her last story with Hayes went viral. And Stevie's, like, rude to her for no reason. Basically, she just, like, thinks that it's pretty shady what she did. But Hayes doesn't even care about it. So, like, I don't know why Stevie cares about it because she has to be annoyed about something. Anyways, so they clean up and Hayes isn't there like Dash expected and Stevie goes back to Minerva and stays in the common room to wait up for Hayes because she's like, this is kind of weird that he's not around. So Janelle comes home and tells Stevie that her and Vi were studying in the yurt, if you know what I mean. And then (laughs) that's the love story I care about. So then right before curfew, David and Ellie show up and they're greening and being stupid and whatever. I mean, stupid in a funny way, not like in a stevie way so 11 30 rolls around and Hayes still isn't there and their curfew is 11 so pix is upset because she's like i don't like calling security larry for people missing curfew so stevie finally tells them that Hayes found that tunnel a few days ago and larry is reasonably upset and he's like that place is not structurally sound he thinks he should have like welded the door shut because he didn't want kids going in there and stuff so this is what I was talking about. This would never happen. So Larry takes Stevie along with him to the tunnel and a school nurse and Mark, who I think is the maintenance guy, because they think like the tunnel caved in on him. But why are you bringing Stevie? You know where the tunnel is. And she told you he's probably there. But no, Stevie has a witnesses. That's why she's there. It's so stupid. So anyways, unrealistic. They basically get to the tunnel and Larry goes down there and then he's like yelling, Mark, call 911. They need an airlift. So Stevie Dum Dum gets out of the golf cart and she goes into the tunnel and everyone's at the end of the tunnel right outside the speakeasy room area. And she asks Larry what happened and Larry walks towards her and she notes that people only walk, not run when they're trying to contain a scene. So Larry points his flashlight at an unmoving mass and it takes Stevie a minute to realize it's haze. His feet are towards the door with one leg outstretched and he's purple blue. And from what she sees, Stevie confirms to us that Hayes is dead. (laughs) Yay! Someone died! How exciting! Yeah, I'm excited about it. They're not real people. Anyways. Chapter 16. So basically, Larry drives Stevie back to her house and tells Pix what happened and then he tells Stevie not to tell anyone and just go to her room and he'll come back and get her. 
So Stevie goes to her room and she like is being crazy and she's like, I have to write down the order of events so I can give it to the police because I want to give accurate information while it's fresh in my head, which isn't like crazy, but she acts really ridiculous about it. So David comes into her room to ask what's going on and she's like, get out. I have to write things. So Larry comes back for her and gets her and Nate. Why didn't Nate go, by the way, the first time around? But anyways, he takes both of them to the main house to talk to police and Dash and Maris are there as well. And they're doing interviews, whatever. So this, uh, okay, Nate's super anxious, obviously. And we waste four pages on Stevie talking him through breathing exercises. Who cares? Stop wasting time in this book. It's so long already. So then Nate asked Stevie how Hayes died. And she said she doesn't know. But at this point... She talks about when she first went in there, she opened the heavy hatch door. She basically thinks either he like went up there and stepped backwards and fell through the hatch door or as he was climbing up, if she may have left the hatch door open, it could have fallen and hit him in the head. So she's all thinking like, maybe I accidentally killed him. That's not what happened. So anyways, we'll get there. So the police call to talk to Nate and Stevie shows Larry her list of events. And she asks Larry what happened, but he can't answer. And then the police call to talk to Stevie. So I don't know. It doesn't really tell you what happens in that conversation. It's just like they asked her like normal questions. So chapter 17 They're back at Minerva and everyone obviously there is like freaking out. And then Nate uncontrollably starts laughing because of shock. And then I think I didn't write this, but I think Ellie like runs off to her room like crying and Stevie's like, I'm going to bed. So where's my derpy music? So later David comes in to her room and he's like, why couldn't you talk to me later when you're writing? And she's like explaining unreliable witnesses. And she literally, it's a chapter of this. She uses like pens and staplers and stuff to explain a scene and what witnesses saw and how their eyewitness accounts can change based on what other people say. Who cares? He's not even listening. He's moving close to her. They start aggressively making out and like rolling on top of each other on the floor, which, you know, is like a normal response after you see a dead body. I just want to like roll around and make out with someone. But anyways, the only redeeming part of all this is Pix walks in and it's like, hey, uh, you guys should go to bed separately. She's pretty cool about it, but like, thank God. So Stevie's all embarrassed and she bangs her head against the wood floor. That's how her section ends. So then we get to a part that's the federal... Bureau of Investigation interview between Sergeant Samuel Arnold, which who investigated the Ellingham case, and Flora Robinson. April 17th, 1936, 12.45 p.m., location Ellingham property. So it's literally like an interview between him and Flora. So I'm just going to give you kind of like bullet points of the information that's important that we get out of this interview. So Flora doesn't have much money. They find it odd that she's friends with Iris, who's rich obviously they met nine years ago at an illegal at the time drinking establishment in new york carmines and flora was a hostess there and it's ran by a known mob boss big bill thompson who has men in the canada area near the ellingham school so they're basically suggesting that like maybe this was a mob hit situation so flora says she's a guest at the ellingham's and was there like most of the time that they were there and her invitations were always open-ended The night before the disappearance, there was a small party. Guests included Leo, Maxine Melville, who was an actress, and her husband, John Porter, and two unnamed business partners of Albert's. That night, Leo, Flora, and Iris stayed up late, causing Flora to feel ill in the morning. Basically a hangover. They don't really say that, but anyways. So Iris 
asks if Flora wanted to go for the drive. And she, Flora, declined because she was hungover, basically. And she obviously feels guilty about that. So then the police grill her on why she was in Iris's private dressing room. And Flora tells her, oh, I had a key to it. I was welcome to her things anytime I wanted. We were best friends. And Iris sometimes wouldn't even allow the maids in there. So they think it's suspicious. And basically, they think that Flora stole something valuable like under the orders of the mob boss, Big Bill. But she says, you know, I'm not, I haven't even been in contact with him in years, whatever. So she denies it. And she's just said she was in there looking out the window. But we know she took something, but I don't think it's the same thing that the police suspect, I guess. The interview basically ends with Flora saying that Iris was an athlete and a writer and never shared that because she was just thought of as Albert Ellingham's wife. And she was so much more and needed stimulation and she should have never been stuck on the mountain, but she was loyal to Albert and the school. Chapter 18. We're back with Stevie. So Stevie gets up the next morning and is realizing that Hayes is really dead. And her response was to make out with David, which, yeah. Ugh. So she thinks about the ladder. This is, this is kind of what I talked about. The ladder to the observatory and how like a fall could have killed him or whatever. So she goes downstairs and David looks at her, but no one really talks and they don't acknowledge the makeout situation. So the police want to talk to Stevie again and everyone else is to stay in the house. So Stevie goes to the great house to meet Detective Fatima. I don't know how to say her last name. There, it's a French word, a Gita. I said it like Spanish though. It means shake. I can't say it. I don't even think that's how it's pronounced. So I'm just going to call her Detective Fatima. Anyways, she asked how they originally got in the tunnel and CV admits to picking the lock and the detective's like lightly scolding her, but obviously that's the least of their problems. Detective Fatima asks about whose idea for the project it was and why the group was all brought together, which we already know because Hayes picked people with appropriate skills to help him. And then she asked about the fog machine multiple times, which is curious, obviously. And then she asked Stevie if there's any other information she should know about. And Stevie thinks about the flash on her wall with the note, but she thinks it was a dream, so she doesn't say anything, which is dumb. And then she doesn't even think to mention Hayes's fight with Gretchen. That doesn't even, like, it's literally not even brought up in the book at this part. It's like, that's the first thing I would have said. But anyways, she tells the detective about Janelle's stolen ID. So they're like, we'll look into it. So Stevie leaves, but she's like, I gotta go check out the workshop that Janelle had access to. So previously, when they were talking about making the fog, Maris noticed a big container of dry ice and Dash was like, it's more difficult to use. I'd rather just make the fog with like fog machines. So they just leave it. So uh, as she's walking over there, Stevie Googles dry ice safety hazard. So I'll just read if you don't know much about dry ice. Dry ice is solidified carbon dioxide, not normally dangerous, but caution should be used in handling. Must be used in ventilated spaces or else there's a danger of hypercapnia as carbon dioxide displaces oxygen, especially in low-lying structures such as a basement due to its weight. This can lead to unconsciousness and death, which can be rapid. So obviously, we think the dry ice was used in the underground tunnel to kill Hayes. So Larry and the detective have the same idea as Stevie. So she follows them. They open the workshop. She falls in behind them. They find the empty barrel that the dry eyes should have been in. And then they make a call and confirm that Janelle's pass was used at 1.12 a.m. to go into the workshop after her pass was stolen. Stevie's hiding and her phone rings and it's her parents and she gets outed basically. 
chapter 19. Basically nothing, again, is what I say. Larry tells her not to go sneaking around the police, like behind their backs, and that he was a detective for a bunch of years. And her parents, like she talks to them, are coming to school and want to bring her home. And then back at the house, David asks what the police wanted but stevie says she can't say what like obviously it's under investigation but she still wants to kiss him who cares derpy music okay so then nate is like understanding of her reaction and describes them both as indoor kids with limited emotional vocabulary which is like my favorite description then the police ask for janelle's pass i keep calling it a pass it's like their id and janelle is reasonably freaked out and then the police are going to search Hayes's room but we don't know anything about that yet. Chapter 20. There's an informal vigil at the yurt for Hayes and Maris and Dash are talking to Stevie and Dash confirms that Hayes came up with the zombie thing on his own and it wasn't a project that they worked on the previous year. We know he stole the idea. Like I already know this. I wish they'd just say it. So then Maris basically says that she thinks Gretchen was involved in Hayes's death, which too obvious. That's not what happened. She describes Hayes, this is Maris. Maris describes Hayes as honest and she knew she had to be with him and that his relationship with Beth was all for show. Big who cares? But they both also mentioned that the police asked them about the fog machines. And basically at this point, there's like an article posted. Everyone in the room pulls it up. It's by Jermaine and she includes the missing dry ice, which how does she know about that? Blah, blah, blah. Okay, got it. So, ooh, new theory i'm just gonna say it here instead of at the end what if jermaine did the dry ice thing i don't know this doesn't make a ton of sense because i don't think she'd want to murder Hayes, but like maybe to make him pass out or whatever to like have an interesting story but i don't really think that's what happens i'm just throwing that out there just in case so anyways janelle asked about the dry ice and if it that's why her pass was stolen and stevie says that the police think that Hayes took the dry ice to the tunnel to film something but I don't know why everyone thinks it was an accident and he like took it there. That's super weird. But Janelle makes a valid point and she mentions that he would have to have taken a lot of dry eyes for it to be deadly and it would have been like really heavy. He would have had to take multiple trips or had someone help him. So the group, like the Minerva house, talk about if the school is going to close and Stevie being kicked out or if her parents are going to take her home whatever then ellie comes in drunk blaring on her saxophone and random people start dancing blah 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 okay so uh in walks in charles which is like the headmaster security larry dr quinn and two officers they tell everyone to go back to their houses and they will all be interviewed ellie is super duper drunk but they walk her back to the house and she says that everyone gets it she's talking about art but they make it seem like she's talking about something else especially Hayes, but Everyone gets it except for Stevie. Whatever. I don't know. But they sober her up enough to talk to the police. Nothing really happens. They ask David if he knew about Hayes' plan to take the dry ice to the tunnel. I don't know why they think that was his plan. But anyways, he said he didn't think there was a plan and that he was getting high with Ellie at the time. But he didn't tell the police about the drugs part. He's just telling Stevie this. And then Stevie's worried about getting kicked out. And he's like, they're not going to kick you out. He tells her that he's tried and the school just like doesn't do that. So the next part is another Federal Bureau of Investigation interview between Agent Samuel Arnold and it's Leonard, not Leonard, but it's spelled like Leonard, whatever. Leo Holmes Nair, April 17th, 1936, 3.30 p.m. Why can't I say name? Location, Ellingham property. 
So I'm going to do the same thing I did last time, run through the facts. So they established that Leo taught an art class to the students because Albert asked him to, and they want to know if he knew Dottie. And he's like, I don't know. I don't care about these students. And they're like, look at her picture. She was super smart, whatever. And he's like, well, yeah, maybe. She looks kind of like a student that kind of stuck out, but whatever. So they put a lighter on the table, which this is the one that Dottie found and collected at the beginning of the book when she's being Little Mermaid. And Leo tries to take it because it's his. And he's like, it's been missing for ages. And they're like, did you give this to Dottie? It was found in the observatory with her things. And he's like, no, she probably found it. It's super nice. So she kept it. Like, get out of here. So then they ask him why Flora was in Iris's dressing room. And he's like, "Uh, she doesn't tell me when she goes in our rooms. Why would I even know that? And he basically ends the interview by saying Flora and Iris were like sisters. And there's no way Flora was involved in the kidnapping. And they should basically like stop thinking that. So chapter 21, this is our last chapter. Stevie is called to Charlie, the headmaster's office, and he asks how she's coping and things like that. He calls Hayes' death a terrible accident. Still don't know why everyone thinks that. Stevie asks if she's going to be expelled. He says no. So he takes her to that attic room again and shows her a bunch of newspapers with the Ellingham affair as the headline from all over the country. They were buried in a box in the tunnel, and then when they went and dug it up last year they found it and it's assumed that this was left by albert i don't know why and i don't know the point of it but here we are so then charles shows her a bunch of shelves with ellingham items and tells her to sort and organize and catalog them and basically the school doesn't give out punishment only projects and this is her project so stevie is sorting and she finds menus from before and after the disappearance just showing like a shift in the house like Oh, they had this elaborate meal and then they went missing. Now they're just eating sandwiches and coffee. Who cares? So then she finds a riddle with no answer that Albert wrote before he died on October 30th, 1938. So here's the riddle. Where do you look for someone who's never really there? Always on a staircase, but never on a stair. So I don't know. But like, basically, the best thing I could come up with is like someone's two feet, I guess. Like... You wouldn't have your feet on the same stair or step, but you would have both your feet on the staircase. I have no idea. Hopefully they tell us. It's probably going to solve the whole case. Let me know what you think. So anyways, Stevie goes on to tell us, like, holy moly, why was this left out? So she tells us that on October 30th, when this riddle was written, that Albert and George Marsh went sailing in Burlington and a bomb was placed aboard and the boat blew up and Albert died. They don't mention, like, if George died, but you would assume he did. I don't really know. Basically, at the time, it was blamed on anarchists. Like, they thought Albert was responsible for his family going missing or being murdered. So they, like, blew him up out of anger. So this would be, like, I forget, bombs make a whatever. The exploding bombs part of the truly devious thing so then stevie then goes to think about the dream the note on her wall and then she like even more now wants to solve the case big who cares so the last part is the federal bureau of investigation interview between agent samuel arnold the and george marsh april 17 1936 5:45 p.m location ellingham property okay so basically they talk about how george and albert met which i explained he saved him from that bomb threat, whatever. And then they asked why he was there for the weekend. And he was supposed to be there to protect the movie star Maxine because Albert was trying to make a business deal with her. And he kind of just like on call for Albert for things like that. And then detective asked why 
The secretary, Mackenzie, didn't show Marsh the truly devious letter until after the kidnapping. And basically, Marsh is like, the weekend was busy. It wouldn't have changed anything anyways. Like, it's not his fault. So then Marsh talked about how Dottie was probably an unfortunate collateral damage, which is what I've been saying. And then he talks about how where the school is, the area is secluded, but dangerous, obviously. So like... It's hard to get to, but if you're going to plan an attack, it's going to be really bad. He goes on to talk about how Albert thinks he's invincible. So I'm just going to kind of read the last part and then we'll finish on that. Listen, there's something you need to understand about Albert Ellingham. He's a great man. No one I admire more aside from J. Edgar Hoover himself. But he thinks he's invincible. He thinks he can do anything because in his experience, he can. He made all his own money. Everything he had, his newspaper, his movie studio, and the rest, he built from nothing. The guy was a newsie as a kid, lived on the street, and didn't have two pennies to rub together. Man's a genius, but he thinks nothing can touch him. I don't think he keeps me around because he thinks I actually help. I think he sees me like a lucky rabbit's foot. I saved him from that bomb, but he saw it as luck and he took me along. I'm grateful, but he believes his will is enough. Something like this was always bound to happen. I knew it. You can see it. It was always bound to happen. So that kind of sucks, but there we are. So we finished. Lingering questions. So obviously, did Marsh die on the boat? We don't know. It's assumed, but like also, hello. You would think you would just say that. What is valuable that the police think Flora took? And then what did she really take? Because I don't think those are two of the same thing. And I think that, whatever, this might be a stretch, but here we are. I think that, like, maybe Alice wasn't Albert's child. And maybe what Flora took contained a birth certificate or a picture of Alice's real dad or something. And then maybe that could have been motive for the kidnapping. I really have no idea. So what's the real deal with David? Who is he? But, like, clearly he just, like, reinvented himself after family issues or something I don't care about. It's not going to be anything bad. Or it might be a little bad, but not anything horrible. Anyways, so obviously the real question is who killed Hayes? Because it definitely was an accident. So I vote Vi. I think Vi could have done it. One, everyone else is way too obvious. Two, could have easily made the message over the fireplace because it's, like, in the techie field. Three, he would have known Janelle's schedule with yoga and would have known exactly how Janelle puts away her ID into her bag. But like kind of where I'm lacking is motive unless Vi is in cahoots with someone else like Jermaine. And then the only, I hope not, but the only reason Vi like with Janelle is to whatever, get closer and whatever. Like basically I think Vi is involved. So those are my lingering questions slash theories. Thank you for listening and send me your theories. Let's talk about it. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at the Jolly Reader Podcast. And also I'm looking for book suggestions always. Please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts so you can instantly download part three of Truly Devious so we can figure this out, which will be next week. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review because it helps other crewmates find this podcast and or share with your friends and family so you can discuss the mystery and theories with them because doesn't anyone love just talk? I talk my husband's head off about what I think happened. And also added bonus, it would make my entire day. So I will talk to you next week for the final part of Truly Devious. Until we sail again, this has been The Jolly Reader. 
bon voyage. You made it to the outtakes. Let's do it. This is a test. And the first part of my outtakes. And my cat is me. See if I can get him to do it into the mic. Waffy, come here for the test. Nope. Okay, well, nothing funny to say. So, let's see if this worked. (laughs) I just realized I didn't write up a summary. Time out. I'm starting over. Like, cuddling up to... I can't think of her name. Mm. Oh, cuddling up to Maris. How could I forget that? It's one letter off from my name. Anyways, so she knows what... uh, Why can I not think of her name? So Dottie, in her first year, which uh, I think she was murdered, like, in the spring. So she probably wasn't there very long. I meant to say fall. I think she was murdered in the fall. But anyways... um, Popping on here real quick while editing, just to add that she definitely was mer- murdered. I can't even talk in the outtakes in April being the spring. April showers bring May flowers. On to more outtakes. But um, I keep forgetting her name. Holy moly. Okay. But Steven's Steven. Riddle, riddle on the wall. Murder comes to play. Oh, nope. Didn't even say that right. Dottie was considered a missing person the same time Iris and Alice. I don't I want to say Iris and Alice. Ellis. Anyways, it's Alice. The body of Irish. Irish. Let's see here. Let's see here. Um. (laughs) Oh, please. What? People? Well, first. Oh, no. Who is this? So... I was worried I wasn't going to have enough information for this episode to be long enough, but we're doing pretty good. Federal Bureau, the Federal Bureau, Bureau, why can't I say it? Bureau. So the police find it weird that she's friends with a very rich Irish, Irish, Iris. Stevie is called to Charlotte, Charlotte. I am Allie. You were with me to my mom.